It's September 1944 in Tokyo, and the newly elected Prime Minister, General Kuniaki Koiso, is in a tight bind. United States and Australian troops under General MacArthur advancing through the almost impenetrable jungle for the attack that ended all organized Japanese resistance on the Papuan Peninsula of New Guinea. Bombs for Borneo, the largest raid yet by the United States 13th Air Force. Flying from recently occupied Moratai Islands, bombers approaches Borneo's east coast. Its objective, the rich Japanese-held oil center of Balikpapan. General of Army Douglas Mac World War II has quickly turned unfavorable for Japan, as the Allies have gained victories in the Pacific. Japan's resources are stretched thin. The Prime Minister needed more people, more resources, and support from Japan's occupied territories to win the war. So he made a desperate vow at the 85th Japanese parliamentary meeting that the East Indies would gain its independence in the near future, with the hope to, among others, foster enduring support for millions of people in the East Indies, especially from Java, a region they deem as the sole supply base in the South. So they recruited people like Sukarno, and Hatta for their war effort in the beginning. And as a nationalist leader at the time, he needs to frame it in a way that as if that he's still supporting the war effort, but on the, at the same time also serve the needs for later on for his independence. So he proposed the formation of PETA, for example, the militia, to receive a military training. And then the, the committee. Several months later, General Kumakichi Harada of the 16th Japanese Army, which was the occupying force that administered Sumatra and Java, announced the creation of Dokirutsu Junbi Tosakai, literally translated as the Independence Preparatory Survey Committee. It is in this committee that discussions among the East Indies people took place over an idea of a future Indonesian territory. You're listening to Indonesia In Depth. This is Tanita. It's May 31st, 1945, and in the neoclassical architecture of Volksradgebouw or Chosang In building, now known as Gedung Pancasila at the Indonesian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, seven Japanese appointees have left the inaugural committee ceremony, and the remaining 60 East Indies members are preparing to start the caucus. Muhammad Yamin is one of the members of the committee and is one of five representatives from Sumatra. He is known as the founding father who helped write down the Indonesian constitution, a legal scholar and an avid reader of the Javanese culture and history. 
He advocated for the use of the Malayu language to be used as the archipelago's national language in the 1920s, during the Sumpah Pemuda movement, or the first youth congress that promoted national unity. And the man sitting two rows behind him is Muhammad Hatta, who is Sukarno's right-hand man, who is also one of the biggest critics when it came to strategies and ideas. Now, the man sitting next to Muhammad Hatta is Oi Chong Hao, one of the most powerful individuals of the Chinese descent, in charge of Qian Guan, the biggest conglomerate in Southeast Asia at the time. He sat alongside a man of an Arab or Hadrami descent, Abdurrahman Baswedan, possibly the first journalist of Arab descent in the East Indies. And yes, he is the grandfather of the current Jakarta governor, Anis Baswedan. Now to the front of the room, the man on the high chair himself was Dr. Rajiman Wedyodiningrat, a retired physician and one of the founders of the Budi Utomo organization the first political organization that sparked the Indonesian national awakening. On his right, sitting in seat number one, is Sukarno, a half-Japanese, half-Balinese activist and architect who has been exposed to many ideologies from nationalism to Marhainism. If you look at carefully from the people that you mentioned within membership of the committee, most of them they are like they are the educated elites, yeah, educated elites of the Indonesian. Even some of them came from Sumatra, from Sulawesi, but they all share the same thing. They are educated, educated by the Dutch, like either educated in within the colony or in the Netherlands, like guys like Hatta, for example, he received all his education in the Netherlands and got exposed with nationalism ideas and later on returned to Indonesia or to the uh, East Indies and uh, work together with the other uh, people over there. And then you have Sahrir. Sahrir was supposed to be an underground leader, yeah, based on the arrangement between Hatta and Sukarno. But during this time, he also appears as part of the members of this uh, this group. Yeah. But if you look at carefully, Sahrir has a background of socialist. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So he bring, bring the idea of socialism in, in, in part of this discussion about the form of the government. So, yeah, if you will look at the composition of these uh, elites, of course, these are the known figures. Yeah? And why Sukarno? Sukarno is being very famous because during this period, the Japanese helped, again, he is supposed to help the Japanese for the war effort, so the Japanese use him to travel around the country and to speak in the radio. So most people in Indonesia or uh, the former colony at the time, they recognize Sukarno from the radio, from the speeches, he's all over the news. So he became the leader, yeah, the face of, oh, this is our leader. Yeah, This is to explain why Sukarno become prominent, everybody knows him. The Japanese play a big part in that sense. Which is sometimes something that within Indonesian historical narrative almost or never being mentioned. <laughs> because it was his, his face that, you know, that people being recognized as the, as the leader. Yeah? So, and then he's part of this committee too, and then with all the other people. 
That is Dr. Yosef Jakababa, co-founder and director of the Center of Southeast Asian Studies, Indonesia, and an historian affiliated with Universitas Pelita Harapan. The members of the committee were chosen by the Japanese government. The majority of them were male Javanese nationalists who were highly educated and came from prominent families. This composition did not represent all of the ethnic groups in the East Indies and in other regions that the nationalists claimed in the meetings. It was also not representative of the various independent sentiments that existed at the time, such as the National Socialist Movement or underground independence figures, such as Sultan Shahrir or Amir Sharifuddin, although they were equally elite. The committee is commonly translated in Indonesian as the Investigating Committee for Preparation of Independence of Indonesia. Contrary to this translation, Tokuritsu Junpi Chosakai did not actually mention the word Indonesia at all in the committee name. This is due to the fact that the committee was established by General Harada of the 16th Japanese Army, which was responsible for only Java and Madura, and not other parts of the East Indies. Meanwhile, the Japanese military units occupying Sumatra, Borneo, and Eastern Indonesia established their own similar committees. However, they were short-lived and much less impactful than the Dokuritsu Junbi Chosakai in Java. Now, Muhammad Yamin was about to start his speech. Dapatlah kita bagi atas lima bagian. Satu. Indonesia's territories should be the combination of the following five regions. Number one, the former Dutch colonies, which are Sumatra, part of Borneo, Java, Celebes, the Lesser Sunda Islands, and Maluku, along with the surrounding islands, excluding the following battlefields. Number two, Tarakan, Morotai, Papua, and Halmahera as special battlefields. Number three, Portuguese Timor and Northern Borneo. Number four, the Malayan Peninsula and the surrounding islands other than the four regions. Number five, Terengganu, Kelantan, Kedah, and Perlis. Masing-masing bagian yang lima itu meminta perhatian dan pertimbangan. Yamin's idea of the Indonesian territory was ambitious. He later referred these regions as the eight regions. They are Sumatra, Malaya, which is now parts of Malaysia, Northern Borneo, which is now Brunei Darussalam, and parts of Malaysia, Java, Sulawesi, Lesser Sunda Islands, or 
West Nusa Tenggara and East Nusa Tenggara, Maluku or Celebes, and Papua. And it turned out, many people liked the idea. The foundation of Yamin's arguments in justifying the eight territories as Indonesia's varied. Some are historical, some are emotional, some are racial, and some are strategic. And sometimes, it's a combination of all of that. The first foundation was this idea of tumpah darah, literally translated into spilled blood. The idea is buttressed on the thought that the archipelago with its patches of ethnic nations are a united entity long before Western imperialism. Yamin equated any and all anti-Western imperialism effort, including the ones that occurred before the concept of an Indonesian state was ever conceived, had been fought to establish the modern Indonesian state. That it was the 350 years of Western colonialism and division from the Portuguese to Spanish the French and British and then the Dutch, that this nation is divided into pockets, even though in our jiwa and raga, our soul and body, we are one nation. And his second foundation was the idea of creating an impenetrable, undivided archipelago that would prevent foreign powers from taking a foothold in places such as the Portuguese Timor, or currently East Timor, and some parts of West Papua, that was held by the Dutch. Um, what I believe is one of the things that they need to establish is to have a historical legitimacy. Yeah? So in order to have this new independent nation, you need to have a territory. Yeah, territorial claim. Now, the next question would be, what was the reasons or like legitimacy behind that, those claims? So, and it has to come from not colonial legacy because the borders that we have at the moment, uh, well, later on it will be like that, yeah, is a part of colonial legacy because of the Western power. But at the time, with the strong nationalist fervor with Sukarno, Hatta, Yamin, they said, okay, we need to find from the past way like before before the coming of the Europeans. So they refer to the Majapahit Kingdom. All the way back from Negara Kartagama. The other main foundation of Yamin's idea of the Indonesian territory came from claims of the past greatness of Nusantara, based on Negara Kartagama or Desawarnana Chronicle, dated back to the 14th century. Negara Kartagama is a book, yeah, book written by Empu Prapanca, the court historian of Majapahit during the the golden age and the, the King Hayamburuk and his commander-in-chief basically Jamada. Yeah. Jamada and Hayamburuk is known in Indonesian history as uh, the person who united the archipelago. Namun huwus kalah nusantoro 
isun amukti palopo lamun kala ring gurun ring seran tanjung puro terus ritun bayang bupra panca tu dah gajah mada once uh, make a oath that he doesn't want to eat palapa which is this there's a multiple interpretation about this some say that he will not eat the coconut palapa ya yeah, the kelapa before he unites the whole archipelago but there are also interpretation that saying that he actually refer to sexual activity that he wouldn't have sex before before he unites the whole archipelago under the rule of Majapahit in what year is this about approximately what era this is like 14th century yeah 1300s the idea of a past greatness was repeated throughout the entire session of the committee in the following meetings in July Sukano would champion Yamin's idea and even romanticize the great Nusantara. However, there have been many who cast doubts on this ambitious claim. And that during the Majapahit period stretched from where to where? Well, again, this is also debatable. The Majapahit Kingdom, the book, the historical records that have been written by Ampu Prapanca, they claim the territorial dominion of uh, Majapahit stretched from Sumatra and then also the Malay Peninsula, Malay Peninsula, Northern Borneo and then up to Southern Philippines. So huge amount of territory yeah, that Negara Kertagama claim. That's, we talk, we talk about claim. Whether it's true or not, the claim, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we can say that for, for sure because there's no archaeological evidence to support that claim first that's first second there's not really a linguistic evidence to support that claim because if it did encompass all those areas then you should have found like evidence like article but we don't have that yeah we have the remnants of Majapahit kingdom probably in the eastern java which is located of course some historians have questioned the claims of territories under negara kertagama The evidence supporting that claims have not been found in the forms of artifacts, writings from those claimed territories, or even any cultural or linguistic influence. The mental conception of the archipelago that extend as far as the Indonesian territory now and beyond as a single unit was also arguably non-existent. The famous Palapa Oath, which is often paraphrased in Bahasa Indonesia, as the promise of Commander Gajah Mada to unite the archipelago is inaccurate, as the Javanese text simply refers to a promise to defeat the other islands. If you look at Sukarno, Agus Salim, they're all nationalists. If you hear like Sukarno's speeches, and they all, he always refer of this past greatness, like, We were a nation that was great, you know, under Majapahit, we were one nation, this nation. You always have that, you know, imagine, part of the imagination. Say this is in 1945 again. If we were to ask, say, people from Maluku or people from Kalimantan or people from Papua, would you think they would have the same national imagination with Javanese? So in another way, they also believe that Majapahit was the national imagination. Well... I think, I, I believe at the time, people have certain goals. At the time, the goal is, okay, we have to reach independence as soon as possible. And the legitimacy that we need is past historical greatness. And the reference is only one, Majapahit. So, I believe there's some agreement, yeah, consensus among, even from outside Java. 
it's more prominent Majapahit and then Sukarno use it also as a rhetoric and a lot of people believe most Indonesians follow it and, and they believe it at heart that oh yeah this is an imperium it doesn't matter whether true or not that's a different story but these are the narrative that being continued being promoted and people like that yeah as part of okay we we as a new state we need see there's an evidence yeah and it doesn't matter whether it's Japanese or not the sentiment come later yeah but at the time to have a goal to achieve independence you need that yeah that legitimacy and that happens to be Majapahit and I think the rest I think they follow those people who were who attended the the meeting mm-hmm. I think they have the certain agreement yeah I mean like uh, I think one of the questions that you you asked yeah I mean from West Sumatra but he wrote an extensively you know literary work on Majapahit like 6,000 years of uh, Bendera Merah Putih for example he claimed that Bendera, the red and white flag is from Majapahit He he's got so fascinated with this past greatness, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is, and he's an interesting character. I guess I would say that. <laughs> and from the nationalist point of view, it is important to have a legitimacy that coming from the indigenous source, which means Majapahit. Majapahit is part of our past greatness. This is something that we have to promote from their point of view, yeah. They would not have reference coming from, uh, for example, from the Dutch. Of course, it will defeat their whole purpose. But these kind of nationalist imaginations are needed at the time in order to have this claim that we, Indonesia, used to have this area that we control under the imperium of Majapahit. So some kind of legitimacy from the past. We have a background that we are powerful something that um, from in the past and now we have to show it again that we are powerful and we are capable yeah, to to manage these huge chunks of land as a free state. I think that's all for the idea of the pride. At the time it is important to have those, yeah, to be presented. This is what we want and they propose it to the Japanese. And using the past as a legitimacy is still being used. Like if you remember during the presidential of SBY, the Gunung Padang. Yeah, if you know the situs, the Gunung Padang situs in West Java, they found these mounds of which is still under archaeological research. Mounds of like rocks formation, and then when they do carbon dating, is older than the pyramids. Yeah, so this is something fascinating archaeologically, but I remember and even at the time under SBO administration, it's like, ah, this is evidence of Indonesia's past greatness. We have a uh, older civilizations, even older than the pyramids, Gunung Padang, yeah, but still not unexplored. So I think there's a need, yeah, as an acknowledgement like that that we are a great nation with evidence with of this archaeological remnants. To to show the world that we are civilized, <laughs> even before the the way the colonialism came, you know. And do you think that that national imagination still exists and persists? Yeah. Until this yeah. day, it is extremely important at the time. But I think for today's needs, people need to be more honest and acknowledge it, in the sense that okay, yeah, for that at that point we need to establish a new state, independence. You need a certain legitimacy to back you up in evidence. 
we just a past greater but at the moment now we are what 75 years of independence i think we need to be honest and see what are the real needs trajectory for the future people in the region wanted more autonomy but they still they still felt indonesia but the problem right now a lot of people wanted autonomy they immediately being accused as separatist like a lot of people in papua they they want to have more autonomy but they're being accused as separatist there's no negotiation there's no dialogue this is a problem that need to be addressed yeah non-negotiable harga mati oh It's July 10th, 1945, and the second session of the committee has officially started. Matters pertaining to the state's principle and the form of the future government have been established, but matters of the state's territory have not. I do not think it is that difficult. However, I'd like to summon one or two members to deliver their stance regarding the boundaries of the Indonesian state. Who wishes to speak? Are we forming a country that has no boundaries? It's now July 11th, and Dr. Rajiman is about to start the committee's assembly. Muhammad Hatta is about to strongly disapprove of Yamin's idea of the territory. I have once said, I do not ask anything more than the areas of Indonesia which were colonized by the Dutch. If all of that can be granted by the Japanese government, I will be happy. So Hatta, on the other hand, had a very different picture in mind. His national imagination was one that was based upon two main grounds. One, the past Dutch East Indies territories, and two, ethnic similarities. Hatta argued that before the meeting, Japan had already promised to grant the former Dutch East Indies territories as the future Indonesian state's territory. That promise was also based on what the nationalist have always demanded from Japan, he argued. And so anything more than that at this juncture would be an unreasonable demand. Hatta specifically argued against the term tumpah darah, espoused by Yamin. He cautioned how broad this could be interpreted, extending to Papua and Solomon Islands and the soils in which the East Indies soldiers have spilled blood, fighting against Western imperialism. He pushed to restrict the idea of the Indonesian territory based on the term he called Sabangsa, or One Nation. More specifically, the Malay or Austronesian race. This was the foundation that made Hatta later consider Malaya, or parts of Malaysia, and northern Borneo, or Brunei Darussalam, to be included in the Indonesian territory, if they wished to. But not Portuguese Timor? Or Papua. Hatta, Hatta is a very pragmatic person. <laughs> you know, he's an economist. An economist by the, usually people, people who study economy are very pragmatic. He just say like, okay, we need to declare independence. But if we want to claim this whole area, first there will be more problems with the other colonial power. Yeah, that will return. He already envisioned that. 
The second, resources, like what he mentioned, as a new independent state, how can we maintain this, you know, this vast amount of territory with the lack of infrastructure? So it's very, he's being very pragmatic in that sense. And then the territorial ambition is also, of course, a factor, yeah, because he doesn't want to see, he doesn't want to have Indonesia to be seen as that, this new ambitious territorial imperium, which is something that they have been fighting because colonialism are like that, right? As a, as a new independent nation, they don't want to be seen like that. I mean, that's from the Hatta point of view. We just want to become an independent nation, free uh, from colonialism. One of the most contentious parts of the debates in the committee was the question of Papua. So you have many diverse people, but they're all educated elites. Unfortunately, we do not have people that present Papua, for example. Yeah, This is, becomes a problem until this very moment because Papua is never being part of this, what we imagine in that time. There's no representative. That's, that's why we have this recurring problem with Indonesian identity, Sabang to Merauke, which is being established by this group. Yeah, Without consulting people who live in that area, like leaders from Papua, they're never being brought to the same meeting. Yeah? But they're part of this imagination of Indonesia, the Sabang to Merauke and all that stuff. The Papuans, along with Timor, or now Timor-Leste, northern Borneo, or parts of Malaysia, and also Brunei Darussalam, and Malaya, which is also now parts of Malaysia, were not represented at all in the meetings. And Yamin was not unaware of this. He actually likened them to orphans that needed representation through the current members of the committee. In his national imagination of Indonesia, Papua was described as having a long-standing interaction and relationship with the archipelago as the area was once a vassal region of the Tidore Sultanate in Maluku. Now, members of the committee were not always specific in what they meant by Papua. Which part of Papua was in their historical claims or which specific areas of Papua? But in one speech, Yamin described Papua as the part of the islands of New Guinea that was occupied by the Dutch, which included Fakfak, Onin, Digul, and Mrauke, plus West Papua, but not the areas under the control of Australians, which is the current Papua New Guinea. Along with the historical claims and emotional ties between the Moluccans and Papuans, Yamin also conceived the region as part of his national imagination because it was an important security frontier between the future Indonesian state and Asia and Australia. And therefore, the Indonesian sovereignty must extend to that point as well. This idea was welcomed by many other members. Sukarno, for example, added the fact that Bovendigul in Papua was a witness of the Indonesian struggle for independence as it was where Hatta spent time in exile. Or Ahmad Buzakir, who also emphasized the richness of Papua's soil. Hatta was one of the few that strongly disagreed with Yamin's national imagination, and this is a stance that he carried through even after the state has already been granted independence in 1949 during the Roundtable Conference with the Netherlands. 
Aside from his strong idea of a Malay or Austronesian state, he also pointed out the seemingly insincere motivation to incorporate Papua inside the state's border for geopolitical reasons and noted the difficulties in managing such a vast territory. If anything, he proposed that the nationalists either leave Papua's fate to the Japanese or to the Dutch or to themselves. Decades after Hatta's speech, this exact question about what the Papuans, particularly what West Papuans, want, remains to be one of the most pressing and arguably unresolved questions in Indonesia. It's the morning of July 11th, 1945. Dr. Rajiman gaveled the room to vote for the territory of a future Indonesian state. It turns out that 39 out of the 66 members voted for Yamin's idea of territory. 19 others opted for strictly the former East Indies territories, while 6 opted for Hatta's idea on having the former East Indies plus parts of Malaysia, if they wish. Yamin's idea won. For now. I believe there are also sense from some of the nationalist leaders to have that ambition of a imperium, you know. This is something that if we want to reflect it today, sometimes it still resonates with <laughs> with some of the government attitude. I mean, I'm, somehow there's this feeling, yeah. I think there's a feeling of Javanese superiority, for example, yeah, towards that they are better than the others, they are more educated. This is some subtle but not too subtle. <laughs> so, but again, We're lucky to have guys like Hatta. Yeah, Hatta is a very pragmatic, very, very you know, uh, very systematic in the way of thinking. He, he sees that, especially because he's coming from uh, West Sumatra, he want to see that Indonesia will be established for everyone, not just to centralize into or into Java. And this is something that we're still fighting, like center, center and uh, periphery relations. Yeah. We still have problem with this very day. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. Japan has surrendered unconditionally to the United Nations. More news will come to us immediately from the White House press conference. Mutual representatives were on hand. Flash the news to us immediately. It's August 12, 1945. Sukarno, along with Hatta, arrived at Dalat, Vietnam, to meet General Hisaichi Terauchi, the commander of the Japanese Southern Army, who was responsible for the former East Indies. The general agreed on the independence and repeated the understanding that the Indonesian territory that Japan will grant only entails the former Dutch colony. This does not include parts of Malaysia, does not include Brunei, not Malaya, or northern Borneo, Timor, and not the entire land of Papua. There was no historical indication that this decision was made in consideration of some international legal obligations or norms, other than the fact that Japan occupied the former Dutch East Indies region. 
Not long after Sukarno and Hatta returned from Vietnam, Sukarno declared proclamasi. Bangsa Indonesia menyatakan kemerdekaan Indonesia. An independence declaration of a unitary state of Indonesia. The deliberations on the Indonesian territory that took place in the committee meetings point to a glimpse of the Founding Fathers' consciousness, ideas, and attitude about what the Indonesian state might look like. Uh, you talked earlier a little bit about, you know, the sentiment of NKRI Harga Mati. You know, mm. it's non-negotiable, it is monolithic, and it's stuck in stone. Do we know what the Founding Fathers at BPUPKI thought the results of the committee was going to be? In their mind, was it also going to be set in stone or did some of them go into the meeting like thinking, we are just going to do this now because the Japanese are allowing us and in the future we can amend it? Well, this is one thing that we remember. The term NKRI will not be popular until later in the 90s. But what we call, what we talk about, journey spirit is about unitary state. I think everybody agree at that time that because there's still excesses of that's influence in the regions, they need to have a strong central government to unite everybody else, everyone else. And then there's agreement from everybody, okay, let's do that first. We create our independent state. And then after the Dutch are gone or we give given independence, they, then we need to talk about how we manage this new country. And a lot of people from outside Java thinks that we need to have also our own autonomy and also our interests being addressed. Which did not happen. Because later on in 57-58, you have the Parma's Temporary Rebellion. It's part of that manifestation of this dissatisfaction that, hey, we fought to establish this uh, nation, but and then our interests are not being addressed. We demand more regional autonomy, and then they revolted. Yeah, that's not, but that's later in 57. But that's part of the excesses of this. But the term in Karyagramati, that's later. That's, it came to become popular after the loss of Timor-Leste. <laughs> yeah. Before that, you don't use that. We don't hear that. But we have centralized government. And they now become very popular. <laughs> A revisit to the intellectual history of Indonesia's territory is a reminder of how iterative Indonesia's territory has been. It was created under a process that was neither set in stone before Western imperialism, nor once independence was attained. Rather, the Indonesian territory is a process that continues to be in the making and unmaking, to be accepted and challenged, even to this day. In the 50s, in the 60s, and the 70s, you see several other movements to reacquire, or maybe even some people would say annex certain areas. Events like Trikora, Konfrontasi, and maybe even the annexation of uh, East Timor. Would you say that these movements were inspired by like the BPUPKI and the territories that was established within the meeting? Or do you think there was more of a factor of whoever was just in charge of the country, for example, Sukarno in the 60s, and then like after that, Suharto in the 70s. For Trikora, I think it's part of our claim from BPPK, yeah, that's part of our territory. Yeah, It's part of this 
the way Indonesia built nation building ideas that Sabang to Merauke. So we we have to acquire that area. Trikora, this is the proper operation. Yeah. So those are part very important for our Indonesian nation building, which we succeeded with the help of the United Nations and the, the US also pressured the Dutch later. Yeah. But then in East Timor, that's different. East Timor is all about Cold War. Yeah. There's an afraid of the rest of communists and all this stuff. And confrontasi, that's also because domestic issues that we have with the, with the Malaysians. Yeah, Sukarno felt that the Malaysians should have asked for permission to have what he called Nekolim, you know, to be, to have troops over there, but uh, the Malaysians never asked for permission, so we got angry. So, that's a slightly different. But the Trikora one, yeah, for Papua, that's part of this. BPPKI did not say, okay, Sabang sampai Merauke. The many territorial issues that have surfaced in the past and resurfaced recently are understandable due to this past history. Perhaps in the 75 years of the state, it's time to read the Founding Fathers' aspirations as they are, along with their shortcomings, rather than an indisputable mandate. The most important thing is that we have to honor the decision of the people of East Timor, whatever they decide, it must be for them, for the best of the people of East Timor. On behalf of the Dam Combatant, I have the honor to announce that the Archer National Armed Force TNA, or Gun Fighters, are now demobilized and decommissioned. In compliance to the agreement of the Memorandum of Understanding, signed between the government of Indonesia and the Free Archer Movement, it has Cries of freedom and independence for the people of Papua in a guerrilla camp in western New Guinea, a remote corner of Indonesia. This camp. Thank you again for Dr. Yosef Jakababa from Universitas Pelita Harapan for the great discussion. If you are interested in modern Indonesia and Southeast Asian history, the colonial period, national revolutions, or even the Cold War, make sure you get in touch with Dr. Yosef through his LinkedIn page. This episode is produced by In-Depth Creative, a podcast production company and consultancy based in Jakarta. We produce immersive audio stories and intelligent audio essays in English and Bahasa Indonesia. Check out our other podcast at indepthcreative.com. If you or your brand would like to know how to engage your audience through compelling audio storytelling, contact us through our website. If you have a story idea, feedback, or even just to say hi, drop us a message to our email info at indonesiaindepth.com or Twitter at IndoIndepth or our Instagram at IndonesiaIndepth. Thank you for listening. Thank you.